Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to those of you who've been with us throughout the day, and welcome to folks joining from wherever you are on the planet. It's early afternoon here in Minnesota, and we're so glad you've joined us for World Health Day 2021 with our focus on equity and equality. And we've been hearing uh, opportunities and ways and perspectives from all angles, from big companies and small nonprofits and the larger structures that we face in our society. We're gonna turn our attention now to learning from each other because we know that the work of achieving equity, and we know that we have to achieve that at the global level if we're gonna get in front of the variants that could overtake us and push us back to the beginning of the pandemic. But if we're going to be making that kind of progress rapidly, we have to do it by helping each other and learning from each other. I'm really thrilled to be able to invite to our panel um, for this session, uh, people that are making this happen in the real world around the planet. Some of you know uh, what a success Rwanda has been in terms of um, really public health, population health, just incredible control of the COVID situation, but on many things, Rwanda just really stands out in front. But it takes infrastructure and it takes planning to do that. And our first panel member this afternoon, Ali Diallo, founder and general partner at United Capital, he's been a telecom entrepreneur and a visionary working with others to create what they call the next billion users. Their work in bringing the 5G broadband to Rwanda is one of the most exciting projects. It's going to really make a difference in terms of taking down one of the key barriers to healthcare. And Rwanda is a country that has always stayed on the front edge. And um, Ali will be joined by uh, one of his technology partners, uh, CEO of Nixati, Jean-Paul Schmetz, uh, to share about this exciting work that they are doing there in Rwanda and around the world, and hopefully soon here in the United States, where we have our own struggles in meeting the broadband needs that are they're crucial for taking care of our own healthcare issues. Ali, thank you so much for joining us and please uh, share with us your story of the progress and what you're doing in Rwanda and around the world. Thank you, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Um, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm very humbled to be here. Uh, I'm very grateful. Um, this is a great panel, a great event and certainly needed in these times. And, uh, and, and yes, yeah, so I'm one of the co-founders of United Capital, um, which is a global impact organization. We're based in Washington, D.C., operating in about uh, 20 different countries and uh, in several sectors from renewable energy to telecom to telehealth as well. And um, Rwanda has been one of our key focus from, from the very, very beginning and for, for good reasons. The country is uh, at the forefront of the digital health revolution, as some of you already know. Um, it's one of those markets that uh, really succeeded in the fight against COVID-19. And in our case, you know, we found great partners, um, local partners in Rwanda to collaborate with um, to really scale not only digital um, digital health, but also, you know, on a broad, much broader scale uh, broadband. 
And um, you know, Rwanda has been the first country in the world to implement a, um, a national um, uh, universal healthcare service, digital only, right? Um, which which is pretty unique uh, for uh, you know a country in sub-Saharan Africa. It's also the first country in the world to deploy um, a medical uh, medical supply using commercial drones, right? And the country has been very committed when it comes to um, supporting broadband, right? And and we know that there is a direct correlation between broadband and 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 healthcare as well, especially now, you know, in those uh, pandemic days. And uh, you know, President Kagame is actually, uh, I believe, he's still the chair of uh, the Broadband uh, Commission for Sustainable Development, which is affiliated with the ITU. And the government has been uh, spending, you know, more than 100 million dollars. Um, to support fiber infrastructure. Um, so in our case, um, you know, at United Capital, you know, we felt the need to be involved and to support local communities. And we partnered with a local uh, telecom uh, operator, a Rwandan telecom operator, to really deploy a, a 5G-ready network, a broadband network, um, not only in the city, in Kigali, but, you know, beyond that, you know, in all the remote areas as well. Um, so the project is currently ongoing. We, we've been in collaboration and we've been collaborating with the national regulator. And uh, we recently received a, uh, a spectrum to, to deploy the network. So we're working on, on the details currently. And uh, the end goal here is to not only support um, 5G, you know, in down the road in terms of deployments, but also provide um, a low cost access, right? So um, right now with the technology that we have, you know, uh, which is called VRAN, which is used by, you know, some of the largest telecom operators, but also telecom providers such as Ericsson, um, Nokia, and so forth. So the technology really allows, uh, you know, uh, a low-cost deployment for for uh, wireless infrastructure, right? And in our case, because we're an impact-driven organization, we're able to pass on that saving onto customers, onto the end users. So that's the end game here. And once we have this uh, this infrastructure in place, right, the idea is to have additional layers of content um, deployed, such as telemedicine, um, infotainment, and and mobile financial services as well. I'm not sure if Mark can, can hear me, but I can um, I can share a little bit more about uh, yes. Brutel. Yeah, please do. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, great. So, um, so yeah, so yeah, as I was saying, so our, our group is called United Capital, and what we do is we really support uh, local communities, but also organizations and even government agencies uh, when it comes to deploying uh, a, a broadband network and, and different solutions. And one of our portfolio companies is called Brutel, uh, which is a uh, wireless infrastructure uh, provider. And uh, we were scaling the operations here in the US um, and across Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, one of the, the, the key projects that we have is called uh, UBA, Universal Broadband um, Access. And the end goal here is to really support you know, communities, uh, not only you know, in Africa, but also here in the US minorities, um, to have access to a better broadband service. Um, so here in the US, we're targeting the African-American community and also the native Indian community in the Midwest, in the South as well. And across Sub-Saharan Africa, as I mentioned, uh, we're working in Rwanda. We also have other West African uh, markets that we were, were planning on penetrating as well. And this is the this is a unique time for for uh, uh, connectivity, right? Because of what happened with the pandemic, and uh, this is a unique opportunity to really really um, leverage you know such a technology, uh, which is open source by the way. So it's not 
a proprietary technology. And that's the beauty of it, because once you deploy it, you know, you can have additional content providers uh, providing all, you know, all different types of, uh, of content. Um, so to go back to Rhonda, one of the key things that we saw, <clears throat> I mentioned the um, universal primary healthcare platform. So what the country did is <clears throat> they, they partnered with um, a UK-based healthcare organization, and I believe the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was also involved. And they came up with a way to create a national AI-powered um, uh, telehealth uh, platform, right? And, you know, if you look at, you know, the, how Africa is structured, right, a lot of the, the solutions, the services are now mobile only. So the platform is actually a mobile platform that allows anybody in Rwanda to have access to telehealth, telemedicine services. Um, so anybody that's in a remote area could just take their phone and um, you know, schedule meetings with doctors, um, have access to consultations, and doctors would be able to provide real-time feedback. And beyond that, even have uh, patient monitoring, which is which is sort of unique. Um, so it's the first country in the world to, to have implemented such a service at a national level. And you know, the goal for us is to, to support you know, such initiatives um, you know, along the way. And Jean-Paul, uh, you're partnering with this. Can you give us a picture of how this fits together with the other technological um, kind of change and the fast pace that this COVID pandemic has created? I will try to give you a few very practical examples. I actually even brought some hardware to show you and to show that it's not only abstract things, but uh, super easy and practical things we are discussing. So I'll try to share. It seems it should work. So, of course, we all know that there is telemedicine. I don't know if you know, but uh, for example, just like in Rwanda, uh, all doctors now are available through video conferencing in France through a mobile phone application. But uh, what is maybe less known is, uh, I don't know if you've seen this device, it's something you plug on your phone and turns your phone into a COVID testing device. Have you ever heard that? I, uh, maybe no interaction. So, and maybe you've heard also an Israeli company that has made a smartphone application. You just cough on your phone and it tells you if you have COVID. For all this to work, you need, of course, infrastructure. And people very often believe that making a telecommunication network is something complicated. Actually, it is not. You just need to purchase PCs like the ones uh, you see uh, on this presentation, then you run a software inside, the one we use is called Amarisoft, then we plug the PC to some kind of amplifier. It's not a sound amplifier, but a, a radio frequency amplifier, and we get a 4G and 5G network. So overall, a PC, a software, and an amplifier. That's enough. If you want to look a bit more in details, then the way we will deploy it is with something called a smart glasses and artificial reality. We ship the hardware like we would ship IKEA furniture with procedures. We then ask people to put smart glasses and then... Uh, we can remotely help the person with the smart glasses to set up the network. And just by doing so, after some time, we get a result that looks like this and provides 4G or 5G network. This is in uh, France's countryside, but it will be very soon the same in Rwanda. 
So deploying networks is uh, with VRAN has become something extremely easy. And uh, for example, I just brought one. Uh, this is a PC I have in my home. It's uh, just a PC and it brings a 5G network in my home. So deploying networks nowadays has become essentially not more difficult than deploying Wi-Fi because you just need to run some software on a PC and you get a 5G radio system. So that's all. John Paul, well, so thank you so much for giving us this visual, this understanding that we are able to leapfrog technology. Sometimes we talk about yeah. that. You're talking about bringing to Rwanda the yes. most advanced to aid their ability to stay on the cutting edge so that the rest of us can learn from Rwanda and from other countries. And thank you so much for bringing that. And they are more advanced sometimes because they they already got their fears out. They don't need to outsource. They just do grassroots with their own hands. And this will make it so easy to get 5G deployed there, actually sometimes faster than in France or Germany. Well, so our next guest, Naosha Roshini, uh, one of the co-founders of Global Black Youth, uh, has been specializing in bringing webinars and conferences and, and big explosive events together to see the technology and the innovation that's coming from all over the planet, but also to talk about the ways that people can exchange and support each other. Naosha, thank you so much for taking time. I think you're coming from Africa and you're middle of the late in the day for you most likely, but we so appreciate both the inspiration from Global Black Youth, but also the work that you're doing to bring that knowledge that is in our communities everywhere into a more general and socially aware place so that all of us can be better, faster in this way. Thank you for that. And please share with us your story. Thank you very much, Mark. And thank you for Global Minnesota for putting uh, together such an important event um, and discussing having these spaces to really discuss and try to include um, very fast, you know, some of the knowledge that's being produced um, by very much overlooked and underinvested um, populations. So in this case, I'm the co-founder of Gold Black Youth. We connect into the most cutting edge solution generated by um, Black Youth on a global scale. And by global, I really mean from the Pacific to Latin America, to the Americas in general, to the, you know, the African continent, to Europe, Middle East, as the African diaspora is everywhere in the world. Um, we try to bring to the fore some of their, their knowledge and really disrupt those grim stats of underinvestment, of funding, solutions, opportunities, um, knowledge into Black founders. Um, we see that as, as missed opportunities. So as we move forward, and I don't disqualify the efforts of um, diversity and inclusion, um, but you know, it's it's just it's just a sub surface cover up. It's it's so much more than this. We're missing out. We're um, on in revenue and in knowledge through our current global crisis um, that could you know, further our, our efforts. Um, and we are using only a fraction of our um, of our capacity of our global capacity. So um, we really try to use um, a decolonized, a decentralized approach to innovation when we think about innovation. 
Um, that's really important to address our critical needs, to research, our, to business policies, to um, practices or anything that's um, related to our well-being, um, and to really to be able to harness the full potential of innovation that that um, world and minimize harm. Um, we at the same time, like I said, we we see the the correlation. We at the same time, like I said, we we see the the correlation between economic crisis and the underinvestment to black founders. Um, that threatens the ecosystem of the accelerators, the incubators, um, and especially in the global south that are often overlooked. Um, that can, you know, that basically foster that that health um, that health system, um, and. Um, uh, we try to connect and really foster a global community, uh, not just to, to each other. So, for example, connecting some of the fantastic work that they're doing in Rwanda with what some of the fantastic work that they're doing by Black communities in, um, in Colombia, with what's happening in Brazil, uh, with what's happening in South Africa and Australia and New Zealand, so they can learn uh, from each other, connect to each other, inspire, collaborate with each other, but also really establish that pipeline where it doesn't exist or widen the pipeline to industries and to policymakers um, to these knowledge producers. Um, and um, yeah, so that's in a nutshell what we're doing at the moment. Um, I'm not sure if there's any specific questions, Mark, that you wanted to ask or for me to focus on, but I can give some specific examples of, you know, like uh, Ali did a fantastic job of kind of stating what's happening in Rwanda. We have, you know, uh, very similar examples in other parts of the world. Um, but yes, yes, yes. And I go to your website to get inspired by the stories that you've included there. Give us some of those uh, specifics. No, no, that's fine. I mean, uh, so just a, a quick stat. I mean, just out of, and this is an understatement, um, uh, but just, you know, about 13% of the technological innovations that happened in response to the COVID-19 pandemic were uh, pioneered on the African continent. Again, that's a very large understatement. I'm sure it's much more than this. I'm positive of that. Um, but because of those dominant narratives that we have, because in our global imaginaries, we cannot uh, perceive that these valuable knowledge can emerge out of the African continent or Latin America we're making out, we're not even considering it. And I think that's why it took us so long to be able to get to where we are. Um, so two of the things that we, we did last year, and this is how we um, we met some Mark, and I'm so glad for this introduction, is that we grew very much tired of the, the you know, the, the, the negative perception um, in the media that was expecting for this apocalypse to happen on the African continent, um, you know, the disproportionate um, impact of the pandemic on black population, but there's really nothing that was harnessing and that was really highlighting the knowledge that were produced by these young innovators in the global south. And uh, we decided to hold a series of webinars. And that was, our, you know, the first ones, um, the looking at, you know, what is it that young black people in the global south are doing in health and innovation? What is it that they're doing to mitigate the economic impact? You know, how is it that they're, um, even with the, you know, the, the threat to, to basically wipe out all the SMEs on the continent and in Latin America, how is it that they're, they're bypassing this? And what is it they're doing in terms of misinformation that was threatening also um, the efforts to, to mitigate um, the pandemic? Um, from this, there was a really um, growing need to bring together a much larger number of innovators and entrepreneurs um, together. We held our Global Black Youth um, Fest, which is our annual summit, we brought together um, about 2,000 uh, young Black innovators um, over two days around topics, you know, from AI, machine learning to innovation, health and sciences to 
female-led technologies, you know, capital um, and access access to capital entrepreneurship, and a wide array of um, of topics. And that was the first time that we we're able to bring together somebody, you know, like a policymaker like David Lamy, who is one of the few Black MPs of the UK, in conversation with a young innovators and environmental um, activists from Jamaica, um, you know, an entrepreneur from Kenya, in conversation with um, an impact investor from the US. And it was it was fascinating to them because they, were, they never had these um, cross-regional, intersectoral, and intergenerational conversations. Um, we also held demo days to really try to disrupt, like I said, those underinvestment and those really grim stats of you know 0.3 percent that going uh, funding that goes into black um, female founders of or the less than one percent of um, funding that goes into black founders in the U.S. I mean the numbers are just so um, so ridiculous actually, and um, so we really try to to connect them and, and show basically businesses and and corporation, but beyond just business corporation, policymakers, what they're missing out on by not tapping into the knowledge and the efforts of um, young Black people on a global scale. I know that you're planning a Founders Conference coming up relatively soon. What was the motivation to really kind of create that new forum that you're working on right now? Um, like I said, it's just uh, as there was a need. To, uh, so we're doing several things. We're doing we're launching next week um, the Black Entrepreneurs Club to have a space where we can have semi-structured pitches by um, by you know black young black innovators and entrepreneurs um, to an ecosystem of founders of of you know bankers and uh, funders and investors and to really be able to bridge that gap like you know and really disrupt those grim stats I was um, discussing. We're also creating a platform to really showcase some of the most um, high caliber black entrepreneurs and you know and really have a bring them bring them to the fore and really bring visibility to the work that they're doing um, like I said it's just um, as we have these conversations and as even you know as we um, even as we for example we interact with the black um, um, you know entrepreneurship ecosystem in the U.S. they're highly surprised to know that these kind of cutting edge enterprise that take place in Brazil or in Colombia or in South Africa or in less, you know, of the usual suspect African countries in Senegal, which is a booming ecosystem. I'm in Cape Verde at the moment and Cape Verde is actually, you know, really up and coming. And very few people have that notion of Cape Verde, unfortunately. So it's, um, it's the work that we want to do to really bring that knowledge from the global south, and then so we can learn from here, from here to the rest of the world, rather than having that, you know, the top-down approach from the from the north to the south. And our friend Ali, who is uh, focusing on the infrastructure, Ali, I wonder, this is your experience that you've been able to see that Rwanda and many other places. Uh, with the proper infrastructure, then it becomes possible to hyper and really put a booster rocket on innovation, on entrepreneurship. And it seems like you're having a lot of success with that in your impact firm. Yeah, yeah. So but to piggyback on what Nyusha said, um, the key is, you know, beyond the infrastructure is really to be able to support the ecosystem. Right. We use an inclusive innovation model, which is uh, modeled after uh, MIT's inclusive innovation um, um, ecosystem, right? So the whole idea for us is not just to deploy an infrastructure, but to make sure that we empower local communities, um, local entrepreneurs, you know, local corporates, uh, even governments, agencies. We work a lot with a lot of uh, agencies 
Um, so the goal is to empower them and do a lot of knowledge transfer so that once the infrastructure layer is put in place, you know, we can have an ecosystem that actually bubbles out of this uh, infrastructure, right? So uh, when, you, when you look at telecom, for us, you know, putting together the actual infrastructure to enable 5G um, across multiple communities, is this is just the first step, right? The, 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 the real opportunity, the real value is when we're able to, you know, open this ecosystem so that, you know, anybody, you know, to Nusha's, Nusha's point, anybody that, you know, has, um, you know, a startup idea or innovation, right, would be able to uh, tap into this infrastructure and deploy their own solution. Because, you know, as a global organization, I mean, we're based in Washington, D.C. We have uh, around 20 venture partners scattered around multiple geographies, um, you know, from Jordan to France to Sub-Saharan Africa to Canada. Uh, we cannot really know or we cannot even pretend to know all the, the challenges that, you know, specific communities or nations, you know, around the world, you know, have to deal with, right? Um, so our key for us is really to empower local leaders, local impact leaders, community leaders, entrepreneurs, because they know the challenges that their countries are facing much, much better, right? So we see ourselves as an enabler, right? As opposed to a, an actual, you know, principal driver of, of, of change. Um, you know, we, we want to create and foster that ecosystem, but we, we really want to support and empower local communities. And, and, and the governments, you know, governments have a lot to play, you know, in that ecosystem, just like entrepreneurs, um, you know, um, and, and investors as well, right? Uh, the key for us, you know, when you look at the technology sector, and we do the same thing in energy, in, you know, in uh, private equity, um, in, in uh, fintech as well. Right. So when you look at the telecom sector, you know, when, when we, we want to build uh, an ecosystem around it, you know, the first case, the first step for us was really to help uh, that baseline uh, and create that infrastructure layer. That's why we started with Bluetel. And, and once we have it deployed, that's when we would be able to onboard a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of, you know, startups, uh, company, innovation driven companies. And, and have them, you know, deploy the services that their countries need, right? Uh, Rwanda, for instance, did not wait for anybody to, you know, tell them, you know, what, what, you know, what would be the best solution to, you know, solving the, you know, the pandemic, right? And, and when you look at Rwanda, I think we, the country had uh, so far 300 deaths, you know, um, uh, from COVID. It's, you know, 300 too many, but, you know, it's still, you know, a much better number than, than, than other countries. And I think there are around 20,000 uh, reported cases so far, right? Um, so the country did not wait for anybody to implement this uh, national, uh, um, you know, pandemic plan or, you know, the digital, uh, the, the AI-powered uh, uh, platform that I had mentioned um, you know, so the, they they knew exactly what the challenges were, right? And they were able to implement it much better than you know if if another company had to come in. Um, so we were very very mindful of the the you know the needs and uh, you know the sense the cultural sensitivities and you know the the realities of each market we penetrate. Uh, we have a very inclusive approach. That's that's actually why we were called you know United United Capital. We we, we work with a lot of stakeholders not just, uh, you know, deploying a, an infrastructure network and then, you know, leaving. So um, I think that's the key, um, especially when, when you, if you want to drive impact at that level uh, and create some sort of 
um, ecosystem that goes beyond just you know one solution having you know a monopoly in, in an industry. Um, that's actually why the technology that we chose is an open source technology uh, with uh, Jean Paul and, and Amarisoft as well um, in the back end. Um, you know, it, it's it's open source, so anybody can you know once we deploy the network, anybody can add um, you know any types of services, and there is a lot of security you know tied to it. And you know when when we go in a country like Rwanda or Ghana or Senegal, uh, I'm, I'm actually originally from from Senegal, um, so I know you know Francophone Africa very well as well. Uh, and when we go to those countries, you know, we, we try to work with local stakeholders, right? So we look at the telecom operators, we, we know we talk to government agencies and whatever is already in place, you know, instead of just disrupting it, you know, our goal for us is to, um, you know, serve as a catalyst to really amplify, um, you know, the, the, the impact that those local solutions have been having. Well, Nyusha, I can imagine that there is conversation about the sort of disparity globally on the availability and the rollout of the vaccine and there are innovations taking place and South Africa has been at least uh, at the World Trade Organization really pushing hard to get the waiver that's been promised but not delivered so they can be generating through their own pharmaceutical system and their own manufacturing system what do you see from your perspective in Global Black Youth uh, about the innovations that might help the whole planet get to some kind of a more universal immunization and vaccination um, through the efforts of young entrepreneurs? Thank you, Mark. Um, so just to take from, because it's very much all links, just to take from what um, Ali was saying, um, uh, when we think about, as he was talking, I was thinking that, for example, one of the efforts that we're trying to do is really trying to strengthen and um, that knowledge sharing, uh, a south-south knowledge sharing. Because we, we saw that during the pandemic, even before the pandemic, that knowledge that was trying to, that we're trying to adapt um, from the global north to the global south was not working. Um, our quarantine measures, um, the reality was just not feasible in these in these places. But it comes a, a way that we, the, the same way that we think about innovation as well. And like I said before, what we're trying to do is really decolonizing innovation. The way that we measure innovation, that we, that we perceive and understand innovation needs to be centralized and decolonized. Um, and like I always say, the, the, uh, the most innovation that I've seen was not stemming, you know, out of uh, the Silicon Valley or Berlin or London. It was Cuba was was one of the most innovative places I've ever been in my life because um, it's the the cradle for uh, of innovation is necessity. So we've always been innovative as um, as a humankind. Uh, so it's not a it's become a buzzword, but it's just something that we've had to um, we have to do. We have to be creative in order to meet our needs. So I think that a lot of the um, issues that we're facing here because we're not in that investing into these local innovations that are much more, uh, you know, um, adequate to respond to those local needs. We're not harnessing that knowledge that can address um, our most, uh, you know, our global concern, our most pressing issues. Um, when it comes to, I mean, the example South Africa is great, but I think the fact that we're trying to um, hold on to a patent, an international patent around the vaccine, but also not tapping into that local knowledge is hampering the way that we're, we're addressing. And then for that knowledge and that those responses um, to the pandemic, to you know, health issues to be fully harnessed and maximized. 
um, I'm sorry I'm going into like circles to respond to this, but for me, it all comes to the same um, issue that um, the much greater issue at the center, at the core of um, the way that we're approaching this. I've been very impressed to kind of follow the news and to know that in general, Africa and Asia have done very well in protecting their citizens and protecting the whole planet as a result around COVID. The Americas and Europe, very unsuccessful in general, but also that there's been more developments that have become, I would say public recently, about some of the early planning, like among the, for example, the United Arab Emirates beginning to redeploy their big uh, aircraft to make sure there was transportation for protective gear and for vaccine. And, you know, just things that people have been thinking about in general. Does it feel like from all of your perspectives, Jean-Paul, Ali, Neosha, that that we can bring the learnings from this period, you know, the so-called great pause, which seems to me like is the great learning. Can we bring these learnings together somehow at the moment through Zoom or these electronic communication so that we are really able to support each other in building back better as everybody is um, you know, prone to saying, at least now at this moment? I can go first um, if... <laughs> if Jean-Paul and Yusha allows it. Um, I totally agree. And I, I, I like how you framed it, uh, Mark, um, the great learning. I think this has to be the, the key way to define what we've been through, right? Um, and, and at United, United Capital, that, that's that's what we focus on, right? We, you know, we it, it might seem strange that we, we sometimes operate in, you know, places like Sub-Saharan Africa and, you know, emerging markets while still being based, you know, in the US, in DC. Uh, but there is there is a you know there is a method to our madness right there there is a reason for it and the, the key reason for us is to be that bridge right um i'm i'm an american entrepreneur um i've built startups and companies you know you know in, in silicon valley in in in, in vegas in dc uh but I'm, I'm also from africa originally right so um i i just like so many other you know diaspora members i sort of embody that you know, bridge between different cultures, different communities, and different geographies. And, you know, throughout my life, I've seen that there is an opportunity to learn from each other, right? Um, so being based in D.C. is really key for us in, in, in the U.S. because we're somehow, you know, up, you know, working, operating as a bridge between, you know, um, the U.S. And, and, and Africa and Jordan, where we have also, um, you know, a great presence, right? Um, so being able to to create that that environment, right, an ecosystem that that enables multiple cultures, multiple markets to learn from each other is key here in this world, especially in a post-pandemic world, right? Um, what we try to do on our end, we've been documenting every learning opportunity and, and every mishaps, right? Every mistake that we've made, and we made a lot of them, you know, at the, at the height of the crisis. Um, you know, we had uh, you know we we, we had a, an office that we opened in in India, for instance, another one in um, in Senegal, uh, and we had to shut down you know some of those offices you know because of the crisis, right? We had some some of our portfolio companies that did well, right? Especially in the telecom and fintech space, right? But others that you know did not do so well, right? So we we we, we try to aggregate and document 
all of that, right? Based on the geographies we operate, and we try to make sure that we share that knowledge with you know other portfolio companies, but also other stakeholders. And and I think that that's a key, um, a key, a key element of uh, of the the new landscape, uh, you know, in this world, right? We need to be able to to create that open learning environment, you know, for all communities and for all stakeholders, um, so that we could learn from each other. I don't know if Nusha or Jean-Paul want to add anything. It's hard to go after you, Ali. <laughs> but I'll let Jean-Paul go uh, and I'll, I'll go after Jean-Paul. Right. Okay, thank you, Nusha. So I would say uh, from Europe and our terrible failure, what we were forced to learn is uh, how to teach others things that we used to teach by travel. And uh, we came uh, with some a new idea. We call it open service. It's not open source. It's open service, where if we want, for example, to implement remotely at 3,000 kilometers away a service like a water distribution, cloud computing, telecom, whichever, then we are forced to define very precise procedures. Then we have to provide the freedom to people who are far away to learn how the service is made, to learn how to copy how the service was made, and to learn how to operate the same service based on the same bill of material or based on the same procedures. And this idea of open service would probably have never emerged if we hadn't been forced to stay home and not to move and have to have people far, far away do very complicated things, which are not just about building furniture, but providing a service. And uh, I think um, this will be, I would say, the most positive outcome of this crisis. For the rest, I think it's uh, still too early to uh, learn what happened. Um, personally, I don't think it's uh, Asia or Africa versus US and Europe, but it's communist countries and underdeveloped countries versus developed countries, where developed countries fail and communist countries or developing countries succeed. And we'll have probably to learn a lot, maybe in a year or two. <laughs> Oh, thank you, Jean-Paul. So I would say that, um, so I think it's a flawed perception that the more developed an economy, the more, you know, it innovates. Um, like I was saying before that, it's just the way that we think um, and that we perceive innovation. Um, I think one of the things that, um, so similar to um, Ali, I'm, I'm also a U.S. citizen. I'm uh, also from the Ivory Coast, West Africa. Um, I've lived in Latin America for a very long time, so I consider myself Latin American as well. And you become a connector and you realize that um, the only way to really respond so in a sustainable way, in order to, for us to reach any of the SDGs, you know, uh, the same way that we fail at the Millennium Goals um, to meet them, we're going to fail at meeting the SDGs unless we shift the way that we think, unless we really decolonize the way that we think about innovation and entrepreneurship, um, technology, and we really democratize the process. So, um, and by that, I mean that the way that we think about it, right? So we put value to certain um, regions of the world and, um, less or higher value, depending where it comes from. So um, uh, I would say that one thing that came uh, positive out of this, it, it basically, one that it put in the whole innovation realm, it really put 
the innovation in the African continent and Latin America in high gear because they could not rely on the governments, right? In Colombia and Brazil, they could not rely on the government. So despite everything that's happening and very, very, very sad numbers um, in Brazil that has the second um, largest um, death rate after the U.S., is still the eco, uh, entrepreneurship ecosystem is still thriving, is still blooming, um, especially of black women entrepreneurs. Um, there is a lot of health tech that emerged just last year um, that really grew. Um, the knowledge sharing of South, the South South knowledge sharing is also strength, has also strengthened over um, you know, 2020 and hope, you know, continue in 2021. So we really, that's the part I think that really has, um, has helped to put to the fore and bring and shift the way that we think about knowledge and not just a one way um, pipeline, but, you know, a, a multi um, directional pipeline where we learn from each other and then where we value that knowledge. So, um, you know, from the way that, for example, they use AI um, to and machine learning, for example, and um, to really bring about quality healthcare in Ghana to the way that they use AI to um, to harvest um, water, you know, clean water from water reservoirs in the Congo. That could be, for example, a response to the drought issue in California. But because of those dominant narratives that we have about Africa and, and Black communities in general, we're not able to, to see that knowledge as valuable. And the only way that we move forward is that if we really disrupt those dominant narratives, the way that we think about it. Um, so that's, that's the way I see forward. And I, I'm hoping that because of everything that we have faced during the pandemic, um, we are able to disrupt, um, you know, the old ways and and not the business as usual, and then really adopt a, a not even a new normal, just adopt. Yeah, I, I don't like the word normal, um, but we have to also take into account, and I appreciate what Ali is doing, the fact that data is still the most expensive on the African continent. That has to change, right? Um, we still have fifty percent of the population that's not connected. Um, digitally. So these are these are um, realities that we still have to face. And even though we're really, we value the work that we do at Global Black Youth, we also understand that we're only able to reach those who have those, um, you know, the privileges to be able to access and produce that knowledge and be on those um, digital platforms. So e each of you brought uh very positive perspective because you've been seeing it before the COVID pandemic, you know, kind of took over and you see the other side. Do you have a picture of, let's say, uh, Jean-Paul su suggested that this set of circumstances being stuck in one place, wanting to provide services thousands of miles away, but that there is a new way of approaching the work that is addressing disparities and historic colonization. Is there a new way of being colleagues with each other on a global scale that you can imagine coming out of this? I can, I can add. A quick word on it, uh, real quick. Um, I definitely agree. I think that there is a way to 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 reinvent, you know, the the workspace, the you know, the actual way of collaborating uh, from the very early on, you know, very very early stage. You know, United has been um, collaborating with a lot of different uh, stakeholders and partners around the world. Uh, so we have twenty venture partners and around fifty global advisors. 
And, and, and for us, the key is really to, um, again, going back to that, you know, empowerment, um, the key is to recognize the value that each one brings to the table and figure out a way to uh, really ignite that value, right? Um, and, and we're very open, very um, unstructured in the way we harvest talent, right? And, 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 and uh, opportunities for impact. Right. The key for us is to really uh, support our advisors, our collaborators, even our competitors. You know, we, we see ourselves as an ecosystem enabler, right? And leveraging technologies, you know, uh, such as remote remote technologies, you know, such as Zoom, such as, um, you know, um, uh, remote training. You know, we were able to really empower a lot of leaders, right? Because we really believe that everybody has something to, to offer, right? Um, and and, and that, that's that's the way forward, um, in my personal opinion. I think that's that's how the world and companies will, will start evolving. The closed loop environment is really not working. Um, you know, uh, COVID nineteen showed it. You know, to to all of us, uh, we need to think strategically about how to be more open, not just metaphorically, but but really, you know, systematically, right? And that's 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 where the world is moving uh, forward. The world's a more open society. Um, you know, leveraging what you call the great learning. It's always hard to go after Ali. <laughs> so fantastic and articulate. Um, so um, I just think, um, so in the same way that I was just thinking about the way that, you know, uh, Mark basically and I connected and how he, he was able to help us really amplify the work that we do um, and connected. You know, when he, when I first heard about Global Minnesota, I was like, that's kind of weird. That's kind of odd. But I love the fact that it had Global and Minnesota in the same um, in the same title. Um, so I, I always say that the work locally can be strengthened by connecting globally. And that's the only way. Like, I can only think globally, even though I'm from the Ivory Coast. Like I said, I'm from so many parts of the world. We're global citizens in, in the end. And this pandemic has really pushed us to, to realize that there's no way, other way than to connect and think globally. Um, and one of the introductions that... Um, that Mark has done. And Mark, I promise you that um, Joseph did not pay to, for me to, <laughs> to say that, but we're partnering with a fantastic person um, that Mark put us in touch with, um, who is really trying to disrupt the private equity um, market and models, and which when I met him and I, I heard of his vision, I really fell in love with the work that he was doing. And so we're partnering with the company called Belgata to, to really create this uh, um, an investment portal. Um, we will be one of many others on an international level and uh, where international investors can come and, and meet, you know, some of these high caliber promising entrepreneurs and really, like I said, disrupt those um, underinvestment and grim stats of the 1% and the 6% that we, we often see. So that infusement investment is key because it, it will help to really foster and strengthen the ecosystem that you know people like Jean-Paul and Ali are trying to um, are doing it successfully, right? Building those ecosystems. So, but in, in many parts of the world and parts that we least expect them to, to flourish. Um, I like to see them you know, emerge out of South Sudan. For example, we're working with um, a female-led um, enterprise 
that um, uh, from Somalia, you know, that's very innovative, that uses solar energy to bring about healthcare um, to, um, to, you know, to patients in rural regions. So, and this is something that you never think, um, you know, this kind of innovation coming out of um, Somalia, same thing, we're working with innovators out of South Sudan. So really disrupting those, those dominant narratives we have of these places that are, you know, resonant in our minds, unfortunately, with war and misery. Um, and like we saw, for example, the example of Rwanda, and less than 30 years, they're able to shift the dominant narrative of the genocide into a hub um, for innovation on a global scale. So I think that now is the time and to really think forward and then really think about everything that happened last year, not just in terms of the health crisis and the natural disasters, um, but also it brought to the fore all the issues around that, for example, racism is a health crisis, right? Um, not just because it disproportionately affects, you know, black populations and indigenous populations and people of color, but we, and it happened on a global scale that the movements in the U.S., had a repercussion around the world and it really helped to foster a global community. So, um, so I, you know, I'm not trying to say that it was a positive thing, obviously, but we're, we're seeing how we can use the lesson learned from the pandemic. Um, we can think about, you know, uh, connecting globally to, you know, enforce our um, work um, locally. Like one of the other things, for example, we're doing um, further this month is really looking at, for example, facial recognition and AI and how the threat to our privacy, um, you know, and with efforts that um, the city of New York has been um, has been leading. I'm not sure if you know, but they they they, they ban facial recognition and connecting it to other efforts, similar efforts of using and maximizing text um, tools and and opportunities in Nigeria, South Africa, and Brazil. Um, and I think that, and then the way that we're, we're thinking now globally is really the, it's, it's revolutionary to me. So um, so I'm hoping that we'll continue to collaborate with Minnesota and other partners. So yeah, thank you. Well, we, we were committed to that vision, but I also want to note that one element of global black youth is the notion that youth are leading globally, whether it's on gun violence, on racism, on climate, on entrepreneurship, on changing our relationships to each other and to the planet. And so I feel like there's a, a generational change that feels very global. And the rest of us are the beneficiaries of that leadership, but we're trying to find the ways to be partners, partners in innovation, partners in the ways that Ali was describing and John Paul was where we're being forced to think differently. But I feel like one of the aspects that I've been learning, and of course, Minnesota is in the middle of a continent, but you know there are many people who have come here, our indigenous people who've come from other parts 10,000 years ago, uh, the people who came here early here from France and all of that, and the people who've come in the last decade or two or three from East and West Africa, from Latin America, from Asia. The world now is within this space all over. And Minnesota has been incredibly uh, favored and incredibly, um, you know, importantly enriched and engaged in the rest of the world. And so how we keep that up, I know that having the ability to, with Zoom and with digital technology to connect has really been important. But I also know that there's still disparities globally that we need to be thinking about 
how we work those. And then we have the perceptions, the perception about youth, perception about Africa, perceptions about young people. And so in this opportunity today, World Health Day, we've been able to thread some of these pieces together. But what I'm looking forward to is the ability to take our conversation and to really amp it up. And I want to offer to all three of you the moments for last comments, giving us all some inspiration about the best ways that we might connect with each of you going forward. Audiences from the whole planet, how can we work together, taking all of us into a better place? I would say that um, the easiest thing to remember is never af be afraid to share the knowledge because uh, that's one thing that will stay alive even after your death. And I would just uh, give that work word as a conclusion. Amen. Uh, I'll go next real quick. Um, so one of the things that we, we've been doing that has been quite successful for us is um, at United Capital is really mobilizing as many resources as possible and, and organizing them um, around in global impact initiatives, right? So um, at the height of the pandemic, we, we, we put together a, um, an initiative called PRISM. P-R-I-S-M, which stands for Pandemic Response Through Innovation and Scientific Methodology. And we were able to really connect with great, great leaders uh, from multiple sectors, right? And to onboard them, right, in a very collaborative way uh, to think strategically about how we could, you know, come out of this crisis. Um, so that was our initiative for healthcare. Uh, more recently, you know, we've been working on, on, you know, telecom infrastructure, and we have two initiatives. Uh, one of them is called BEAM, right, B-E-A-M, which stands for Broadband Equality uh, for American Minorities. And that project is really, again, a coalition of multiple leaders, an open coalition. So we invite anybody that, you know, wants to partner with us or collaborate with us or even, you know, um, um, help scale, you know, uh, broadband solutions for, you know, uh, minorities here in the U.S., um, so we, we were very open and we invite anybody to use this platform. It's very early. Uh, we're still structuring everything. But the key here is, again, empowering locals, you know, communities, local stakeholders, uh, you know, from the corporate, from the government, from the, you know, private equity, financial capital sectors, and obviously from, from the entrepreneurship ecosystem. Um, at a much global scale, we're doing the same, you know, in the energy level. Uh, we have several, you know, portfolio companies, but also several, you know, independent, you know, collaborators you know, big industry leaders uh, from Europe, uh, from uh, from the U.S. as well, uh, and, and from Africa, working together to solve, um, you know, uh, the energy crisis around the world uh, with renewable energy, um, you know, operated by my co-founder uh, Bashir in uh, out of Canada, but, and also by uh, Molly, who's heading a company in renewable energy uh, operating in Africa. And in the, on the telecom scale as well, we're doing the same. So the key here, the pattern that you know we have is, let's let's work together, let's collaborate, let's find a way to um, really um, you know take the best of what you know each one of us has to offer. 
um, and, and, and and push you know uh, an impact uh, uh, an impact strategy that would really really have an inclusive component reaching local communities. So uh, we, those those platforms for us have been key, and you know they are all open. Um, you know we like I said we were very unstructured when it comes to, to to those initiatives. The key here is to onboard as many collaborators as possible. And, uh, and obviously, Zoom has been a tremendous help for all of us, um, you know, but uh, to your point, Mark, um, what happens, you know, when you go to places where, you know, broadband is a challenge, right, where connectivity is a challenge, how do you onboard those, those local leaders? That's why for us, you know, having a, a foot in the, you know, in the, the actual uh, telecom infrastructure ecosystem is very key. Right, because like I said, this is just uh, you know the bare bone layer. You know, it, it enables additional uh, opportunities for all of us to connect with you know remote collaborators in so many places. Um, so we're, we're very open, and we're also very early. Uh, you know, this is a very small organization. Um, we have uh, five uh, general partners. Um, we are fortunate that one of them is you know uh, the Prince of Jordan, uh, was all, who came in as a co-founder. Uh, uh, Prince Abbas uh, was a Jordanian American, and uh, the rest of the team is here in the U.S. and in Canada and across across Africa. So uh, at the core, we're a very small team, but you know we were able to really scale and, and have or drive you know some sort of impact you know through the help of you know different collaborators um, by empowering them, but by also welcoming them right and welcoming their ideas. And I think that that that's really key. Uh, you know, having that platform approach. And, and and you know nurturing an ecosystem um, when it comes to to driving impact. Great, thank you so much, Neosha. Thank you. Um, I should. I waited because I'm like, you know what? The trend has been for Ali to go first, but I should have not gone after him again to close this. But um, I would just say that we saw last year, and we've been seeing throughout the years, young people have been demanding change. Right? They've been hosting a lot of um, online campaigns, offline campaigns. They've been disrupting the way that we're doing things, and it's been fantastic, and I love that. So we have to kind of own that generational change. We have to really pass it on to the, to the young generation, but especially um, to those young generations that are overlooked and underutilized, um, underinvested in. And just to think about the African continent that has the largest young population in the world, followed by Latin America, we're missing out. So what I would say to especially big corporations, but also you know, large organizations, we can't think about DEI efforts. It's nice, but as a person of color, I always feel a bit insulted when I hear DEI because I feel like they're doing me a favor. Like, oh yeah, we have this policy. Now we have you know, two people of color on our board. On our and our staff, and it's like, yeah, but am I supposed to thank you for that? It's not enough. It's very superficial. We have to really disrupt that. That's very nice, but these are baby steps. And we're in 2021. We're beyond baby steps. We have to embrace that change in a much more drastic way. We have to think about missed opportunity. So even if we don't really care, but we don't really see the value of tapping into that knowledge that's being produced by the most overlooked populations around the world, in this case, Black youth, especially in the global South, we have to think about this. We're missing out on money. We're thinking about the largest population in the world in the African continent, second, you know, Latin America, that are driving innovation and the different types of innovation that we're completely missing out on, that we can be gaining money, we can be gaining knowledge, 
and it's going to be much more prosperous effort forward. So, um, so that's what I would say. And again, and not because uh, from a sociological, you know, kind of like fluffy way of thinking about narratives, but if we want to really achieve the SDGs, like for real this time, not like the Millennium Goals that we failed at, we have to be able, we have to disrupt the dominant narratives. We have to change the way that we think about the African continent, Latin America, people of color in general. Because if we continue to underinvest into young, you know, founders, especially, or innovators, entrepreneurs, young, young leaders of colors, we're going to completely fail at society and the way that we're doing things and continue into the same uh, trend of inequality and disaster that we're going uh, uh, forward. So that would be my last message. Thank you so much, Jean-Paul, Ali, Neusha. Look forward to finding all these exciting ways to work together. We have many things to change, many things to do, but we have the opportunity because we have the possibility of connecting and helping each other be better at this connection going forward. Thank you again for being part of World Health Day 2021, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. Goodbye Thank now. you for having us. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for having us. Cheers. Bye-bye.